Thank you for listening to the Something Significant podcast brought to you by happyliving.com. Something Significant is the popular series where Matt Gersper, aka Mr. Happy Living, interviews ordinary people doing extraordinary work in the world. Here at Happy Living, we define significance as doing something you love and creating something of value to others. We believe the pursuit of significance is a foundation of happy because it brings meaning, focus, and purpose to your life. Our beautiful friends at Dry Farm Wines deliver the finest, natural, lab-tested wines available right to my door. They promise no hangovers and no headache. They're sugar-free, chemical-free, and delicious. And they are the official wines of happy living. Are you ready to change your wine? Claim your penny bottle on the podcast page of happyliving.com. In 2012, Kira Barr, scientist, doctor, healer, diagnosed her own cancer. She hit rock bottom. Then she began anew. Today, she runs the Resilient Health Institute, teaching you to highlight your strengths rather than masking your flaws so you can unleash true potential as a human being. She's big on touch, a hug, melting into each other physically and emotionally. An ex-ultramarathoner, she now preaches a less-is-more approach. She finds joy in the daily routine. She lives to help people, and she's really good at it. Give a listen. Hey, Kira. Welcome to the Something Significant podcast. Thank you. Excited to be spending some time with you. Yeah, we appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Because I've done some research on you, I can see you're really busy. <laughs> uh, it was fun. I got to, to know you down at the um, Mindshare uh, Summit several months ago now, over the summer. And you were one of the 16 people who earned the right to get up on stage out of, my understanding, about 100 different uh, submissions to talk about the future of health. So what was that process? Are you pretty surprised and excited by that? Or how was that for you? Well, of course, I was I was very surprised and excited. I mean, there are, you know, Mindshare is full of incredibly mission-driven and heart-centered individuals who all have uh, incredible information to share. So um, I, I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> to, be, to have been chosen. That's cool. And that was really fun. It was an interesting way to, um, for those of us in the audience to meet a bunch of our fellow attendees. And uh, it was kind of rapid fire, five minute sessions and a lot of ground covered and some really interesting people. And I had the idea that, hey, why don't I just invite all these experts onto my podcast? And it's been great because almost every single one of you have agreed. And I booked my podcast for the whole rest of the year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that was great. So anyways, why don't you kick things off by just telling us a little bit about the journey that got you to where you are today. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely been a journey the last six years, especially for me. And it showed me how amazing it is that, uh, how we can connect the dots going backward. Uh, because mm. when I chose my career, 
I had no idea really why I chose it. Um, and then what ultimately led me to where I am now. So um, I am a dual board uh, certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist, which essentially means I study the skin on its surface as well as on the cellular level below the surface. So if you've ever had a biopsy, I'm the gal who would make the diagnosis underneath the microscope. And so when I chose my career, I just did it because I thought it was really interesting. I mean, dermatology is this amazing marriage of so many specialties wrapped into one. Pediatrics, you know, you deal with kids, you deal with adults, like internal medicine, surgery, pathology, aesthetics. So I didn't really have to make a choice. <laughs> I got to do a little bit of everything. Um, but now that I've been really diving deep um, because of my own, some of my own health issues, I realized that it wasn't a coincidence. So as I shared at Mindshare, um, I was born with um, two birthmarks on my face and was made fun of them for what they look like. Um, it was called coffee stain face, which, um, you know, oh. kids, are, kids are cruel. And yet when I learned in dermatology, literally those spots are cafe au lait spots. So they so I literally was coffee stained. You know, they, so they were literally coffee spots. They, but anyway, they were, they were mean but accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. And and of course, you know, it could have been the objective fact. Those are you know cafe au lait spots on your face. Those are coffee spots on your face. But we, you know, we we spin a story around it. And so I had a lot of shame and embarrassment about those spots. And I quickly figured out that if I could hide them then kids wouldn't make fun of me. So the way to hide them was to um, get tan. And so tanning was a thing. You know, I'm a kid of the 80s. We would just, you know, fry ourselves, baby oil and what have you. And um, being the daughter of a redhead, I burn um, mm. like crazy and shouldn't be out in the sun all that much, despite my dark hair. And so it wasn't until I became a dermatologist that I understood how harmful um, the sun had been. I mean, I was covered in moles and freckles and, I was, and everyone just thought, oh, they're so cute. They're freckles. What I learned as a dermatologist is that they are um, signs of sun damage. And so I uh, wound up having to have biopsies like every couple of months for over a decade because of growing and changing spots. These, these pigmented lesions um, were changing and some of them were atypical and ultimately one of them was so atypical that it was diagnosed as melanoma which is the most deadly skin cancer there is and so that and Kara, when was that that was back in 2012 that was the beginning of the six-year journey I'm, okay <laughs> i embarked on <laughs> okay um and so being this expert in my field who was supposed to know better you know like i'm a dermatologist being diagnosed with with, you know, a major type of skin cancer. And um, my world was rocked because I thought I was healthy. I mean, I was running ultra marathons at the time. I was eating well. I was wearing my sunscreen. And I literally had to come to terms with the fact that I didn't know necessarily what I was doing and, and how to be healthy. And it began this complete overhaul of my outlook, um, towards health and my approach to my own health. And um, it's been an amazing process because I've not only completely revitalized my health, I had a whole other slew of uh, health issues that, that, that um, kind of cascaded after the skin cancer um, 
hormonal issues. I had two major surgeries. I mean, it was, it was really, um, not good. (laughs) And, um, Hmm. because of that experience, I really kind of had to climb out of the ditch and bring myself back. And I feel like I've learned so much because of it. And that's how I actually wound up at Mindshare because I started exploring integrative medicine and functional medicine and met all these amazing people that had I not had to go through what I went through, um, I wouldn't have had that gift. And I, and I do believe, you know, it seems cliche to say, but I, I really do believe that, that, it, that it was a gift. Hmm. So what were you doing professionally before 2012 on the diagnosis of melanoma? Yeah, so I was full-on academic medicine at um, an institution in California, teaching residents, seeing patients. Um, Basically, I was working part-time, but it was 60-plus hours a week. I was staying at work till midnight, not seeing my kids. Um, yeah, it wasn't that fun of an existence, to be honest. I was, I was doing, you know, I love the subject matter, but I didn't enjoy how I had to practice it. So you were, you were teaching? Yeah, I was um, at an academic institution. So I was seeing patients as well as teaching residents and medical students. Okay. And I think part of that time, or maybe all that time, was at, at UC Davis? Mm-hmm. Yep. We are, we are fellow Aggies. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was at Davis from 79 to 83, a little before your time. Yeah. D- Davis itself is a phenomenal place. So the, the medical center is actually in Sacramento. And where we were, um, or they, they still are, um, in ESET, really quaint, uh, really quaint spot. But how we had to practice, things have changed. I mean, we, we, I was um, able to help kind of revamp the schedule a little bit. But at that time, it just wasn't... Um, what I envisioned to be able to be present for my family and uh, be fulfilled in my job. <laughs> okay. So this is really interesting. So um, one of the, the second book that I wrote is called Turning Inspiration into Action. Mm-hmm. And it's about the a process of what does it take to actually transform your life. And in many cases, people um, transform their lives because something devastating happens to them. And they, they rise out of those ashes and they complete, do, do a complete overhaul of their outlook, to use your words, and completely change things. And so in your case, you said you got into, you chose your, your field kind of just because. You didn't really know why. And then after, after you did your, your um, after you graduated, you just stayed basically in the field because... It just made sense, or yeah, I you know I have uh, I've never stopped loving um, the subject matter, but what I realized why I was drawn to it is, you know, because of what was I was made fun of for what was on my skin. I felt so uncomfortable in who I was in it. So that idea of being the, what was on the surface, and you know, and then the emotional you know, below it, being an expert below the surface as well, even though it was on the microscopic and cellular level, it just made so much more sense to me why I was so drawn to this field. And now the work that I do, um, 
I don't have an active, like true general um, clinical dermatology practice. It's a lot of education about um, sun safety, skin cancer prevention. I mean, skin cancer is the most prevalent cancer in the United States, um, hmm. which much, most people don't realize that more cases of skin cancer are diagnosed than all other cancers combined. So I feel... Um, especially with my personal experience, but also with my professional um, expertise, having done a melanoma fellowship, like I feel it's so important to make sure that people understand how to, how to examine their skin. But more than that, exploring that question of, you know, who are we being in our skin, right? Who, who, who mm -hmm. are we? Um, how are we showing up in this world? And I, before this, you know, I never would have thought of dermatology from that, perspective. I mean, there is a niche of dermatology called psychodermatology, but it's more of the emotional um, turmoil that people experience because of what is on their skin. I mean, it's significant, right? Your skin is the most visible organ. And um, when people see things they don't understand, uh, unfortunately, they judge, they, they may be unkind. And the person who is carrying that 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 skin disease or that they feel it's a burden and they internalize that. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of comorbidities um, that occur, especially with psoriasis. Um, there's cardiovascular disease, but there's a lot of depression and anxiety and overwhelm. And then that leads to uh, substance abuse. And so it's very intertwined. And so I find that fascinating. I know I just kind of got off on a tangent, but that whole idea of, you know, it's not just what's on the surface. It's also the emotional component um, of how we internalize that. We can change the title of the podcast <laughs> to something tangential. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. So. <laughs> okay. So, so let me, Let's let's go from. I find this really interesting. So you were in the the field of your choice. Well, doctor, that's kind of how it happens. Right. But you you went from being a student to being an academic and and to teaching. And you expressed already you were doing the work. You were, I'm sure, outwardly you looked like you were progressing and being successful in your field and teaching others and caring for patients, but you weren't really fulfilled. It sounds like you were overworking and not getting a lot of joy. Is that my getting that right? Yeah, I think, you know, I love the derm path and um, part, I mean, I, when I was doing the work and interacting with the patients, um, I love that mm -hmm. and being able to okay. solve the pieces of the puzzle. I loved the actual work. It was how I had to do it. Um, you know, I was of the philosophy that if someone comes into the clinic and they're a new um, patient, you want to get to know them. They're here, they're, they're yeah. especially in dermatology, like they're getting naked in front of you. It's incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. It's incredibly um, intimate and to make space for that. And so in the academic setting, you know, the visits have to be like so fast and they, they, they don't take into account, they just like you know, jam your schedule with like new patient, new patients. So you don't have that luxury um, yeah. of being able to create a good patient experience. So that was frustrating. And my kids were very young at the time. And so I was always felt like I was the mom who couldn't come to the, the tea party at school or the costume party. And I was always that mom having to give an excuse of like, I'm sorry, I have to work. I have to work. I have to work. Um, and I and I realized that something had to change because I had these children 
um, because I, I, I wanted to, and I love them and I adore them and I need to be a good role model for them. Um, so that was, that had a lot to do with why I, I felt I needed to make a change. It wasn't so much, I, I, I loved the type of work I was doing, just not how I was doing it. Okay. So, so then as you're, you're going through there and I don't know how much you were having those thoughts of making a change before you got your diagnosis, were you? Um, yeah, I was actually for quite some time. And that's part of why, how I got into running more as a stress release. But, um, yeah, I didn't realize that how intense I was running and the quantity I was running put so much stress on my body. And that was a big learning experience too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, so 2012 comes along, you, uh, discover that you have melanoma. Uh, what was, talk about the, the process. You said you got down into a ditch. Talk about how that was, the, how hard that was, how you felt, um, or did you lose hope? Were you, were you certain you were going to come out of it? Just let it, let the, our audience know, Take us back there, 2012. So um, I think the hardest part of all of it is I knew exactly what to look for, right? So I'm examining my own skin. I see a spot on my arm that just looks different. It, it's, it, it's changed. I had my suspicions. I had a colleague biopsy it, and then I'm the one looking at it underneath the microscope and really just seeing cancer, <laughs> like having to diagnose yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and that, that really was, um, Hey, Hey, Kira. Yeah. I'm sorry, but, uh, you just went silent for about two minutes. Oh, um, yeah. And you didn't notice it, but we did. Uh, so you were the last time you you said I had to diagnose myself. Okay. Can, Can you just go back there and start again? Sure. So, um, so I had to, uh, I found the spot on my arm and, and diagnosed myself, which was a shock. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, um, you know, I think my body was sending me some major signals that I was not paying attention to. Finding the melanoma was one, but because of all the running I mentioned that I'd been doing, it had put such significant stress on my body. And all along the the while, I had been having chronic pain, but I ignored it. And um, shortly after, so the diagnosis was in July of 2012. In um, October of 2012, I um, tore my labrum in my hip while I was running. And um, that was really painful. (laughs) And I had to have major reconstructive surgery, still having chronic pain, um, thinking that it was never going to end. And then I wound up having all sorts of hormonal issues and, um, my hormones were out of whack. I wound up having to have um, a second surgery, um, GYN surgery, thinking that that would correct some of the pain. Um, and really that was that ditch. It was like one health issue after the other. Uh, I just felt like my body was in complete rebellion and what it was, was really just my body shouting, you know, that whole idea of, you know, your body's constantly communicating with you, but you have mm-hmm. to be open to hearing it. And for so long, I was completely deaf. And I finally, 
after that second surgery felt like I had hit rock bottom because I had been used to being so active. And because of my hip surgery, like I literally couldn't exercise. I had to sit still. And when I thought that this would be the worst thing in the world, it actually, again, was this gift. I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much time. Like all this, I was given all this time back. What am I going to do with this time? And I started writing and I started researching and I started reading and I started like. So what do you mean you were given all this time back? Yeah, because I used to spend hours, (laughs) hours running, hours exercising. Um, Yeah. So did you, when you were in that that scare with melanoma and all that, did you, were you feared, did you fear for your life or was it never that bad? Um. Because I caught it early, I wasn't as fearful for my life um, because of that specific diagnosis versus the continued, like, like the piling on of all the other health issues that were, you know, accumulating. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that is when I definitely was um, depressed and and um, mm. I thought, how am I, this is, this is never going to end. Like, it's just going to get worse. I don't know how I'm going to get so out you of did, it. So you got to, to that, that place of despair and hopelessness. And- oh, totally. I, I thought I'd never um, be able to move again. Like, the, the pain, the how, melanoma was how long were you? How long were you like that? Uh, let's see. Well, I've been in chronic pain for for four years and I pushed through it. And then once I had surgery, I was immobile for four months. Goodness. Yeah. Okay. So from that rock bottom place, what, what was the change? What was the catalyst that started you moving in the direction? Did you, did you go back to your old job or did you shift from academic to entrepreneur you know, when did that happen? Yeah. So um, when I was diagnosed, like my going away party from UC Davis was a party and then walking into the, the surgery suite to have it cut out. And then we moved to Washington. So I literally mm. walked away from my career. So um, talk about <laughs> life-changing events. Mm. It was, your, you know, this health scare and then, you know, this... Um, in many ways, identity crisis. Like I walked away from what I, <laughs> what I had known. My husband had um, a great opportunity in Washington State, um, and it was this. I thought it was my dream come true to be finally that you know the stay-at-home mom and have time with mm. my kids. Um, okay. And I realized very quickly that in order for me to be at my best and to be most present for my children, I have to be doing something that feeds my soul and, and fills my heart. Um, and so during all of this, you know, health stuff, I, that's when I, you know, this newfound time of not exercising yeah. and, and working, I really started diving into integrative medicine, the functional approach, um, and kind of diving into that entrepreneurial world. I, uh, worked with a startup company to create an app. I, um, created prototypes for some protective clothing line. I was just kind of doing all different sorts of things that were all related to my roots um, in sun safety and skin cancer prevention. But 
Wow. Yeah, so tell 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 our audience about I think one the first one you talked about is Aegis. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. So um, Aegis was the consulting company that I had created when I um, was working with this startup company that had created an app, um, kind of like geo tracking, more for social purposes. Like if you go to the same restaurant, you know. Um, over and over again, it'll prompt you like, hey, we see that you've been going to this place and, and you like these things. How, you know, here are some suggestions for you to, you know, that you might like. Um, and so I, I went to the rollout of, of this individual presenting this technology and um, he wound up sitting in front of me and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, have you ever considered using your technology in another, uh, you know, capacity because I'm, you know, dermatologist and I, I think this would be amazing to track UV exposure over time. <laughs> would you be interested in that? And usually I'm not that bold or forward, but I just was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And he turned around and he's like, you know, I'm a stage three melanoma survivor. Uh, yes, I'd be very interested in that. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds? And so that was a fun adventure. I had never worked with a startup company. I mean, in medicine, everything is so linear, so in the box. Um, and so yeah. this was completely eye-opening. So that was super fun. And is that is is that a product that's still in the market? <laughs> no. And that was another no. amazing lesson. So, you know, we go to London, we go to Wired Health, and we present it, and it's we're ready to roll this thing out in iTunes. And the day it's going to launch, um, we're doing the PR and I, I get this memo and I'm like, hey, we should probably, you know, make sure the facts are accurate and blah, blah, blah. And I get a note back saying, did you not get the memo? Like, oh. the, start, the startup is no longer. So literally launch day was, was our closing day. <laughs> did they run out of, just run out of money? Yeah, basically the whole point was to, um, I guess test what the technology could do and what it was capable of, huh. uh, not so much actually to make the product. And so um, the parent company um, pulled out. And uh, yeah, so that was a really gotcha. interesting learning experience. Okay. And then next up was Quetzal. Is that how you say that? Yeah, Quetzal. Quetzal. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Quetzal... Um, stands it, it's it's it means little cat and that's what my mom had called me she called hmm. me Quetzalfarf like it, it was her nickname for me and it is the sun protective clothing line that I had created um for everyday wear so most sun protective clothing you see are for the beaches and for the pool and what I was finding that my kids when we lived in California it is sunny, you know, most of the year and the schools didn't put sunscreen on the kids or you had to write permission, um, get permission, write permission slip. But they, you know, mm -hmm. with 30 kids in the class, the teacher doesn't have the bandwidth to put on the sunscreen. So I needed to find a way to fashionably protect my kids because they didn't want to, you know, be outcasts from yeah. their classmates. So that was that project. Um, that would have been a bad thing for you to do considering your childhood. Exactly, exactly. Make them wear some goofy looking stuff. Exactly. So <laughs> so that was, um, you know, a venture. And I that I made the prototypes and was super excited about it, sent stuff to LA and I realized, oh my gosh, like this, I, I don't know if I'm a fashion designer, the market, 
you know, I'd have to create the market because um, at the time it just, it, they were still just looking at um, beachware. So it's something that is, um, I put the, the brakes on that and um, it's still something like waiting in the wings for me. But that was, um, that was a fun. And is that yours? It is. Did you have partners or no, that's all, no. that's all that yours? That was all mine. And that I think was part of the issue of, you know, being all yours and trying to, you know, navigate a space that is completely foreign. Um, yeah. Uh, we should, we'll, we should talk afterwards. I have some ideas for you. On okay. That. Um, some, some folks who might be able to, well, just we can talk about it later. But so this is kind of how the entrepreneurial process works is, you know, starts and fits and starts and fits. And and you learn along the way. Right. You keep learning, you're getting different experience. Yeah. So you've got strike one. You've got a strike in a ball with Quetzal because it's still you haven't lost. it, right. right. And then you come up with Resilient Health Institute. Right. Tell us about that. Yeah. And that is my um, current. Um, business and I named it Resilient Health Institute because resilience is, you know, your ability to bounce back. And uh, I feel like I've been able to bounce back <laughs> mm-hmm. a bit. And you know, that is my mission and my goal is to help other people do the same. And you know, your skin is, in my opinion, one of the most resilient organs we have because it's exposed to environmental stressors day in day out with the sun and air pollution. You know, as women, we stretch it like crazy with babies. We gain weight, we lose weight, we cut it, we bruise it, and yet it heals and it bounces back. And so using that kind of as a model, um, you know, a beacon of hope in some ways is like looking at the, all the pillars of health, you know, when we focus on nutrition and sleep and exercise and our mindset and sense of community, all the things that I had to do to get my health back on track is what I want to bring to my clients and really help them identify where they're having their biggest challenges and where they're feeling stuck and be able to help them build resilience so they can deal with the curveballs that life is going to keep throwing at them. <laughs> we just have to figure mm-hmm. out how to, how to, you know, address them, have compassion for ourselves um, as we do so and um, keep moving. So what's the model? Is it a, it's a coaching? Yeah, right now um, it is. I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I do some aesthetics um, in person, and I, that's kind of on the docket of whether I'm going to actually create a, a physical brick-and-mortar space because it is the skin cancer prevention that um, is my, you know, is so close to my heart, and I can't do that virtually. So I need to be able to lay my mm-hmm. hands on people. Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. And then you're also, and you're doing workshops, I think. Yeah, I've done some workshops, especially for our young um, teenage girls. You know, um, I have a teenage daughter and it is, you know, having gone through teenage and myself and all the pressures and now seeing my daughter, with, especially with social media and the yeah. filters that they use and all the pressure of, what is beautiful and 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 I just yeah. needed to kind of uh, give these girls an opportunity to um, share with them, you know, 
what true beauty is and how to nourish yourself from the inside out and the outside in. And if, especially when it comes to products that we use on our skin, if you're going to use makeup, use it to, you know, highlight your assets, not to mask your flaws and understand Mm. what's in your product so that you can uh, keep the toxins to a minimum. Um, There's no way to avoid them, but, you know, just to make the best uh, and upgraded choices that you can. So yeah, those are, those have been fun to do. So I noticed that your, your four pillars in your revitalize your life program are lifestyle, nutrition, movement, and mindset. Mm -hmm. Those seem like the basic. At Happy Living. (laughs) Yep. Happy happy Living. We've created what we call the seven foundations of health and we're actually migrating it. We might, we're considering the rebranding from improving the health and well-being of the world one person at a time to improving the happy in the world mm. one person at a time. How do you like I that? I like that. We could all use a bit more happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these may become our seven foundations of happy, but they're very similar to yours. Yeah. It's the four fitnesses, physical fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness, and financial fitness. Mm. And then we add love, doing things you love with people you love and places you love, adventure, and significance, which is what we're talking about today, doing work that you love that brings value to others as well. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, I like, I like how you break that down. I think we're pretty aligned with, with our messaging yeah. and, and all of it, yours and ours, is to unleash your potential as a human being, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I love how you um, talk about the fitness in terms of um, the, the different categories. And um, I think most of us just think about physical fitness, right? But, but it's the emotional, you know, that whole model of that our thoughts really dictate our feelings that drive our actions that determine our outcomes. And most of us just look at our actions or the outcomes and think we, we like, that's where we need to do the work. But unless we go back to really the thought process that's driving that, you know, it, it's hard to get the, the outcomes that, that you're really striving for. And without taking a look at your emotional fitness or your, you know, your, the, the other, you know, you know aspects, um, yeah, you, it's hard to, hard to achieve the true happy. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, what's interesting is that without some sadness and without struggle, you know, it's harder to, I think, achieve that happy. And so there, there definitely is a place for both. I think a lot of people in our society think they're supposed to be happy all the time and that's just not realistic. And I think that leads to a lot of unhappiness versus the, the acknowledgement that, yeah, it's hard. Like this stuff is hard. (laughs) And, um, and so you know, the hard stuff is what's going to make that appreciation of the happy that much more spectacular. Yeah, so exactly right. Life is is full of ups and downs. And, you know, for the most part, until the final down happens, until you die, uh, which we all are going to die. So that's also just a part of that perfectly normal part of life. But all the ups and downs, almost nobody has nothing but downs, right? right? So in your life experience, if you've had ups and downs, it makes sense to think when you're in a downward time that this too shall pass, as it always has in the past, right? right? (laughs) 
And if we're thinking about that, and then, and also what you said, you know, what are the lessons that I'm supposed to be learning here? And if I take a look back at your life, which I haven't known for very long, but as you've described it to me for these first 30 minutes, it looks to me like you were put on this earth to be, to have gone through what you went through so you could be the, the person that you are today doing the work that you're doing today to help people revitalize their life using skin as a metaphor for the whole thing. How could you have possibly, you could never have thought never that out. in a million years, but I, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had to go, had through, to go it. through it. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> awesome. And could you, could you ever have thought that you'd be this entrepreneur? Um, no. Building businesses and getting three strikes or two strikes before you got the third one working. And, and you know, you'll, you'll come back and get that second one figured out, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, no, um, never. I never thought, you know, especially medicine. I was just such a good student, um, just put my head down and work and just thought, well, in, in life, there's only a choice. You, you know, you, you just stay in school and you, and you follow a linear path. Um, and so, yeah, no, this has been quite a ride and a, a fun adventure so far. Not, not easy to figure it out, but, you know, thankfully I've met people like yourself and the other folks at Mindshare who are all navigating this course and are incredibly supportive. Um, and I think that's it. Like having mentors and um, community, I never appreciated how important that was before. So in, in your journey, where you just mentioned what's one of my questions. Oftentimes we live the life that we're supposed yeah. to live, that, that's expected of us. And you just said, you know, you, you do this linear path. I'm going to be a doctor and this is what I do. You do doctor things. And if I'm going to be an academic, then I do academic things. And, but then in, in your case, something changed. And it was, it was during your sickness and all that. But can you think of a specific moment? When you when you had that aha moment, and it was it was all different for you. Huh. Well, I, I think you know it was during that time in academics. Um, my son um, was home with our nanny, and um, he cracked his head open um, on the fireplace. <laughs> And I mean, I know accidents happen and he was, he was totally fine, but it was that, um, I wasn't there and it made me reflect on like, there are so many times I'm not there and it's not hmm. just the physical absence. It's the emotional absence. Like I could be in the same room, but emotionally I'm, I'm, I'm not present because I'm worried about work or I'm, I'm just worried about all this other minutia. Um, and, and that kind of set it in motion for me of realizing like, I'm just not present physically or emotionally <laughs> and that needed to change. And that's, yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. So the, the classic response would have been, you know, something to do with your sickness, but that was, it was just a matter of timing mm -hmm. with, with everything and. And then that may have been the camel, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so yeah. to speak. Um, and that's really interesting. And then entrepreneurship makes sense because you're in control. Um, yes. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> We're never in control. 
you're just shift masters. You know, your masters become your customers and your shareholders if you have them. And you're always just shifting masters. Yeah. But at least with entrepreneurship, we have, we have, we think we have control of our time. Right. As best we can. And at least there's more flexibility in how even if, yeah. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. So as we define sig- significance, I mentioned it earlier, it contains two elements, doing something you love and creating something of, values, of value to others. So it's doing and it's giving. But in order to be a giver, you have to have something to give. You need to build excess capacity in your life. So what are your personal practices, whether it's like our, our physical, mental, spiritual, financial, uh, or whatever, what are your practices that increase your capacity as a human being so you can be a giver to others. Yeah, I, I thought about this and I think, you know, um, I've definitely started um, a practice of gratitude every morning before I get out of bed. And, you know, the, the three things that I'm most grateful for, and I do the same when I go to bed at night. But I think what um, gives me the most energy to be able to give is um, in our family, we are big, we're touchy feely people. We're big huggers. And um, it's that sense of like um, that physical touch. So when I embrace my kids or my husband, like literally we'll just reach out and grab someone's walking down the hallway and we'll just grab them and hug them. <laughs> and it's because hmm. either they need it or, or I need it in that moment. And just like melting into each other and just like resetting and you become ener- like everything is it, you just let all the stress go and you're re-energized. And I think having that, um, that, uh, I don't know, that sense of deep love and connection gives me so much energy to want to be able to put that out in the world because I feel so blessed that, that I, um, that I have that. And I just want, I want to share that. And um, I get energized by it. So I think that sense of like, like physical connection. And that's also why being virtual is fantastic because you can really, you can see someone's face and, and you can, um, you know, really feel like you, you know them, but to physically put your hands on someone and touch them or hold their hand or, you know, just it, it, there's an energy in that frequency that you can't recreate yeah. um, at a distance. <laughs> No, you're exactly right. Matter of fact, um, that's one of the, uh, we've had happy living now for about four years and at a couple of, uh, uh, actually there's a conference called the world domination really? summit up in your part, your area of the, of the world. Have you heard I of it? I have not. It's in Portland every year, uh, has been for the last eight years. It will be for the next two and, uh, it's pretty cool. So we'll be going to our fourth one, I think. And one of the things that you're able to do, this might be perfect for, you know, for you to test out your uh, idea of a clinic. As attendees at the conference, you can go and, and see the TED Talk style talks of their, the speakers they bring in. But then they also have things called meetups. And so an attendee can host a meetup. Uh, you market it in their intranet. And so it could be, you know, Dr. Kira's um, whatever your clinic would be. Or it might be about your, you know, you want to talk about revitalizing your life uh, or whatever the case may be. You host your own, your own workshop and they're really fun. So we started doing those 
And the difference, the the difference in joy and spirit that I was feeling, talking and sharing and seeing people in body language, um, the difference between being there in person and doing something virtually or having somebody read my book, which mm-hmm. is a thrill, but it's still, you're not connected. When you have that connection, it just, everything yeah. is better. It was enhanced. And so that actually led us to one of the things we're doing. We're buying a house uh, on the lake out here in Lake Norman, and we're going to be hosting retreats and get togethers and doing things with our community uh, physically and in person. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. So if WDS sounds interesting, I'd like to chat with you about that too. Maybe we could. Yeah. Oh my year. gosh. That's just down the road. I'd love going to Portland. So yeah, I would love to learn more about that. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about um, the two components. I know you're doing them both. You're mm-hmm. doing what you love and the outcomes that you're getting are designed to change people's lives, to improve their life, a matter of fact, to revitalize them. So talk about that process of doing work you love and how much, how that makes you feel, how that enhances your life. And then the second part, when you're actually impacting another human being, how much joy and magic that brings into your life, how good that feels. Just talk about those two things for a while. Um, Gosh. Uh, I think I feel like it's it's this continuous circle, like one feeds the other. I mean, helping other people, I, and, and sometimes you know that that um, adage of we we teach best what we need to learn the most. Um, and so I still have a lot of work that I need to do. I'm constantly working on myself, improving my health along the way. And so um, when I'm working with others and kind of walking them through the pillars and seeing where they're, they're stuck. Like I continually learn. So I, so it's this amazing, um, I, I feel like I get so much more, uh, in many ways of working with people than they might get with me. At least that's how I feel. Like (laughs) it's, it's this magical thing because yes, I'm helping them and, and, and I'm hoping that they're benefiting, but I learned so much um, from people. And then that just gives me so much more energy to want to keep doing it. Uh, and I just, I don't know. It's just, it, it's really gratifying and it helps me continue to grow. Um, so in some ways I feel like helping people, it's, I don't know, would it be weird to say it's, it's, it's selfish. Like I get so much from helping other people. (laughs) No, it, it does work both ways. And I think the, um, I've, this is something I grapple with. In my first half of my life, I was more of a, what you just call a traditional businessman trying to help businesses become better. And I did plenty of nice things and good things and, and, and all that at the time um, as I was advancing my careers and doing different things. But my motivation for the work that I was doing was mostly self-centered. It was about advancing my career, advancing myself. When I when I switched gears and I had my aha moment, and I've had several of them, but this particular one for happy living, it was it was could I really change that part of me from being self interested to being completely yeah. giving? Can I do things? Can I write a book not to become a best author, but because I I hope that book can help another person? Can I really be a giver? 
And as you said, that's what I'm working on. That's my big work. And as I, if I'm giving that way, I think two things happen. I think it's the opposite of what you said. If I can really do that, I think that'll come back and serve me even more. So is that, is that selfish? I don't know. I think they, I think you shift from being selfish to being a giver with the purpose, the reason right. for I what agree. you're doing, right. not the with outcome. the intention, yeah. for sure. Yeah, the, the intention of, yeah. you know, to give and to serve and to help because I've, at least for me, I've, I've walked and I continue and, and I can't, I have to continue to walk my walk and I won't recommend things that I haven't tried. Um, and I also know how hard it is. And so to be a support. And so, yeah, with the intention that you want to see someone thrive, um, it's a thrill to see them thrive. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, so let's do a couple of uh, rapid fire, uh, okay. quicker, shorter answers and see where that takes us. So what's your favorite sport and why? Oh, um, I have to say right now, my favorite sport is lacrosse. Uh, I played it in um, high school and a little bit in college, but my son um, plays lacrosse. And so I love watching it. Um, I, I do, I'm not actively playing, but but a sport to, to, that I love to watch is lacrosse. Um, if it's a, an activity that I personally love doing, uh, it's Pilates. Pilates. Yeah. Okay. Talk, talk a little bit before you go on. I'm breaking my own rules, but <laughs> you mentioned something that I'm, that I think is really important. There's a, there's a real, real hardcore movement out there with what I'll call civilian people, regular old normal people like you and I that are entrepreneurs or employees or living our lives. And then we're doing CrossFit type training. Oh yeah. Which is, which is, you know, it's, it's it's the type of high level training that's meant for people who are like competitive professional athletes. Mm -hmm. And so I know you've written about, and part of your practice is less is more with your treatment for, for skin. Yeah. But what about less is more? How has that changed from your being a marathon runner to doing a lot less rigorous exercise? Uh, How's that helped? you? It has been a game changer. Um, you know, I, like I said earlier, I was in chronic pain and, uh, and I pushed through with the pain and running and, and was running 20, 30 miles. Um, and at a time I was doing ultras and, um, yeah. I didn't, crazy. I didn't, it was crazy. And, and to all those runners out there, I get it. It's so social. It is freeing. And to think your body can power you that far. Um, it, it is, it is amazing, but, um, the cortisol and the, 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 levels of stress on your body, um, it, it takes a toll. So what I found is, um, you can do so much less <laughs> and maybe just a little higher intensity, but for, for less time and get the same results. Um, you get so much time back you, uh, and listening to your body, like if it hurts, that's not, it's not no pain, no gain. It's like, if there's pain, your body's trying to tell you like, there's something going on here you need to evaluate. <laughs> Don't ignore it. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan of really honoring your body. If you don't have the energy, but you want to move, like go for a walk, like even walking to your mailbox and back, whatever you can do, um, celebrate that. Like I learned that hard lesson when I was totally incapacitated that just celebrate the small stuff. And, and, um, 
if that's just standing up and I don't know, like cleaning, cleaning the kitchen, like that, just get up and be active do whatever you can. Yeah. CrossFit yeah. is, 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 um, it's a tough one. <laughs> Exercise is supposed to make you feel better and have more energy, not less. It's not supposed to tank you. Exactly. And I, I think, I think the issue is it depends on what your objective is. So one of the guys that that's helped me to learn this lesson was the first CrossFit champion of the world. Actually, his name is James Fitzgerald and he's a, he's a writer uh, at happy living and, and a friend. And he said, he, I went to one of his workshops and it was, it was titled, you are not an athlete. Mm. And I was an athlete. I played all through college. I had three different professional football tryouts. And I'm like, I'm looking at this outline saying, uh, BS, I am an athlete, dude. So I, I went to his workshop and he said, if you want to be hiking mountain trails when you're 80, you shouldn't be doing box jumps. Mm. And his message is you need to align your fitness goals with your lifestyle goals. And if you want to be a world-class runner or you want to qualify for the Boston Marathon and that's that's your thing, then by all means, you should be training for marathons. But if, if that's not your objective, you shouldn't be killing yourself. If you want to be healthy and happy, you probably need a lot less exercise to stay healthy and happy. Yeah, that's a, that's a very powerful uh, message that I wish I had heard so many years ago. <laughs> me too. Two, two back surgeries for me. Yeah. Um, Okay, Kara, this is great. One thing you wish you had known 10 years ago? Um, to have more compassion um, for all humans. Uh, I think, you know, we're very, uh, I was incredibly judgmental because I didn't, you know, I, I would mm. kind of villainize, you know, like um, if someone was doing something I didn't like, I, you know, put negative energy on them. And instead of having compassion mm. for maybe why, understanding their why, um yeah. yeah that's very good what's one hope you have for the next 10 years ah uh i have lots of hopes um uh, you can have several yeah I, this I, is I, your interview. I, <laughs> I think you know as i'm i'm still uh on an upward trajectory with my health and getting things more dialed in and so i do i want to be on the trails when i'm 80 like I'm not, I'm not going to be 80 in 10 years, but, um, but just to maintain a level of commitment, um, to my health and longevity, because I do, uh, want to be around a long time. <laughs> I'll just share real quickly. I just got back from, uh, Columbus, Ohio, where I was born and my parents are going to be 81 and 82 this month. Yeah. And they, my dad was invited back for his 50th reunion of his doctorate degree at Ohio State. Oh, wow. Wonderful. And so my brother and I, who I haven't seen my brother in like seven years, met my parents at Ohio State, and we took them on a 13-hour marathon adventure going to tailgate parties and football games and and uh, homecoming celebrations. And they, my mom just barely made it. She's on a walker and it's almost <laughs> completely falling to the ground. But they they did it. And so, you know, that's, that's why we want to take care of our health so we can enjoy those kind of experiences even long into our old age. Yeah. And I won't hold it against you that it's Ohio State. I'm, I'm I saw you from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's depending on the year. Maybe I should keep that on the down low, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, but, but we're both Aggies. Yeah. So that should be a, that should be a knowledge. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
any books or resources you'd recommend to our listeners? You know, a game changer for me was um, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz and, and really understanding the model, you know, that whole, you know, the thoughts and, dicta- you know, the feelings that drive your actions and your outcomes. That was um, very helpful for me to read as I began a lot of my mindset work. Um, one that I'm reading uh, currently is Work by Thich Nhat Hanh and Finding the Joy mm. in, in, in the Daily Routine. And it is so simplistic and so powerful. And I would, it's a quick read. So I, I would recommend that one. That sounds good. And that, that relates back to what you said before, you know, when things, are, things aren't always going well, sometimes it's just hard. But there's, you can still find joy in that. That's right. Right. And, and you can find joy in the heart if you, if you get your mind put on yep. right. Awesome. Who would you recommend to be my next guest? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, there, I would say there's, from, from Mindshare, there's, um, I, there are so many wonderful people. But um, my girlfriend, uh, I don't know if she, <laughs> she'd like me volunteering her, but um, Dr. Shelley Suthi would be, I think, a wonderful guest. She is um, an integrative medicine physician who is diving Mm. deep into energy medicine and um, a lot of spiritual work. And she has a really interesting philosophy. So I think she would be a great guest. She sounds interesting. (laughs) I'm really, I'm fascinated by this whole idea of energy work. um, That'd be be great. Well, Kira, you have been so much fun. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, you made it a, you've made it a good day for me. I'm, I've just been smiling half the time here. Uh, are there any parting comments or remarks you'd like to leave our audience? Um, well, thank you for, for this opportunity. I too have had a huge smile on my face. Um, I just think that what you're doing is fantastic. We all need more happy in our lives and creating a sense of community is a huge part of creating that happy, reaching out and knowing that we're all struggling in some way, but we all can lift each other up. And um, yeah, so I hope that you've got lots of listeners because this is good stuff. <laughs> oh, you just gave me goosebumps. And I think, <laughs> I think what, I think what's just happening now is our rebranding is going to become official. I don't think we can go back to it. I think it's going to be improving the happy in the world one person at a time. So, okay, well, that's, thank you so much. And folks, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to our Something Significant podcast with Dr. Kira Barr. If you like today's interview, you'll love being a part of the Happy Living community. To join us, just go to www.happyliving.com. Benefits include a free Happy Living book, inspiring blog posts delivered straight to your inbox, and special offers exclusive to Happy Living members. It's all free, so come on in and join our mission to improve the happy of the world one person at a time.